0: I hope all of you uh, have had a great day, a great week. I know it's been raining like for the last three days, but even though you're stuck inside, can't really go outside, uh, it's still it's still nice to have rain. We hadn't had that in about three months. Uh, but tonight, uh, fair warning, uh, tonight it's going to be a little funny. Um, and so through that, through some of the funny parts, please just bear with me, and, and please work with me. Let's laugh a little bit, but then let's get back. To being focused. So tonight we are continuing a series, and and I know right now it, it's kind of obvious. I'm not dressed like I usually am, uh, and I know it spread very quickly what happened through all of you. Yes, I was playing Gaga ball outside. Yes, I split my pants. Yes, I went home and changed. Now that that is out of the way, and we can stop laughing about Nathan splitting his pants, um, let's continue our series uh, this month called Counting the Cost. And last week, does anyone remember what last week the, the name of the message was? No, that was the cost. Pride was the cost. No, that was two weeks ago. The true cost of being a disciple was two weeks ago. Last week was the ultimate test. And last week we looked at really three different things, and all of them work together. All right, and so the first thing we looked at was how we need to love one another as true disciples and what that means. Uh, And then we looked at getting rid of our judgments, which we discussed we're not able to get rid of our judgments unless we're willing to love one another as people. And then the last point kind of hit home for a lot of us, and we watched a really powerful video, and it was about forgiving, and how if we're not willing to love others and get rid of our judgments, we'll never be willing to forgive. But all three of these things we discussed are part of being a true disciple. Now, last week focused a lot on what goes on inside of us, right? The position of our heart towards other people, uh, our our mindset and our perspective. And this week, um, I'll be honest, maybe even more challenging than last week. Uh, This week is going to focus not so much on the inside of us as it is what we do. Tonight, um, as you can see at the top of your paper, the name of this message that I'm calling this is Jesus ain't no side chick. Jesus ain't no side chick. I was sitting in my office yesterday, and I was like, hmm, this would be a really fun title. And I texted a couple youth, and I said, if I were to hypothetically name my message this, what would you think it was about? And they got pretty close on it, so I said, all right, we're going to have some fun with this. So we're going to talk about how Jesus ain't no side chick. And before we get into the message, uh, I sat there yesterday after I came up with this title, and I said, all right, what's a side chick? And so I Googled characteristics of a side chick relationship, and listened to a couple of the results that I got. A side chick relationship is when the other person refuses to show attention or affection in public, dodges every photo opportunity, never invites you to family gatherings, and prefers to stay inside. And went on to say, a side chick relationship is where one person does all of the work, shows all the affection, but never receives any attention in return. And the more I sat there and I thought about these characteristics, the more I began to think this really describes our relationship with Christ a lot of times. The more i thought about these relationships and the thought of one person doing all of the work showing all the affection but never receiving any attention back that's how we're with jesus sometimes a lot of times we've put jesus as our side chick not always intentionally sometimes it is intentionally sometimes we, we don't want to show him any attention in public. And we're just going to stay inside and stay private with our relationship with Christ. Sometimes it's unintentional. But as true disciples, as true disciples, this is not how our relationship with Christ should work. So as we go through tonight, we're going to look at four different aspects, four different characteristics of true disciples. And, and to start out, I want us to look in Matthew chapter 7 and we're going to start in verse 15 going through verse 23 here's what it says beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves you can identify them by their fruit that is by the way that they act can you pick up grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles a good tree produces good fruit And a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now listen to this. This is where Jesus, talking to the people, he's going to hit them pretty close to home here. You who break God's law. The first characteristic that we see tonight is a true disciple does the work of God. A true disciple does the work of God. And Jesus is very clear here in saying that you can tell who a true disciple is based on what they're doing. Right? He says a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Well, here's what a true disciple produces. A true disciple produces the fruit of the Spirit. A true disciple produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you may ask, okay, well, a true disciple produces the fruit of the Spirit. What is a fake disciple produced the exact opposite of all of those. We could go down the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, hate. A fake disciple will produce hate, anger, a lack of self-control, a lack of patience, a lack of kindness. A true disciple produces the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we, we talk a lot about we are saved by our faith, right? Right? And that's true. We are ultimately saved by our faith. But Christ here is saying your actions reflect your faith and whether or not you truly do have faith. In uh, James chapter 2, 14 through 20, we see this. And y'all have heard the saying, actions speak louder than what? Actions speak louder than words. And Jesus has essentially another way of saying that our actions speak louder than our words. Look at James chapter 2, 14 through 20. I've got it up on the screen. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? What kind of faith? Wait, excuse me. If you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye. Goodbye. And have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. Stay warm and eat well. But uh, then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith? If you don't have good deeds, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble and tear. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? That strikes home. That's pretty convicting for some of us. That's pretty convicting. And when we pair that with with what Jesus is saying here in in Matthew 7, about many will cry out to me and say, Lord, Lord, I, I did all these things. I had faith in you. Did you? You are saved by your faith, but your faith produces good works. A true disciple. Produces the fruit of the Spirit. If you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit, you're not a true disciple. It's that simple. Your faith produces a specific set of works. In verse 21, right there, God says, Only those who do the will or the work of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. Doing the work of God will cost you this. It will cost you your plan it will cost you your desires. Doing the work of God will cost you your plans, and it will cost you your desires. What God is calling each and every one of you to do will likely cost you your plan and likely cost you your desires at some point or time, in some way, shape, or form. Because your plans and your desires do not always line up with God's. And so what God is calling you to do is going to require you to sacrifice your plans and your desires. In verses 22 through 23, let's look at these again. He says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. What are we called to do? We discussed this a couple weeks ago. and We see in Matthew 28 what our calling is exactly. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded them. You're called to go and make disciples. But let me ask you a question. Are you going where God wants you to go? See, that's what Jesus is saying here to these people. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, you know, they're saying, you know, we did all these things. Jesus is great. You didn't do what I asked. You didn't go where I wanted you to go. You didn't follow me. That's great that you did all that stuff. You did it for yourself. You were following yourself. You weren't following me. I wanted you to go here, but you went here. Yeah, you still made disciples. You still shared the gospel, and that's great. Good for you. But you weren't where I wanted you to go. You were not following me. If you had true faith, you would have followed me. No. this is a saying that I heard a couple weeks ago, and it really, I mean, it's really true, but it's really hard sometimes to deal with this. Partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. I think back to when when I was a kid. And my mom would ask me to do something, like clean my room. And what I would do is I'd just go shove everything under my bed. I'd say, room's clean. She'd come in there, you know, the first place she'd go look, under the bed. And she'd she'd say to me, you didn't clean your room. What do you mean? Sure I did. Floor looks clean. You can't see anything. She said, no, I asked you to clean your room. I said, well, I did, kind of. She said, well, kind of isn't cleaning your room. You know, a lot of times we say, "Mm, okay, well, I'll kind of follow it. Well, you know, the lie I told, eh, it didn't really hurt anyone. Eh, you know, I, I, they needed help. I kind of helped them halfway. Well, helping someone halfway isn't really helping them. I'm sorry. Well, I helped them how I thought they needed help. You didn't meet the need. Partial obedience is disobedience. And I know a lot of us, sometimes we get in trouble because, like, we halfway tell the truth. We halfway tell the truth. We actually had this discussion at Manly Man as a group. We halfway tell the truth, and you still get in trouble for lying because you didn't tell the truth. You didn't tell the whole truth. Yeah, great. You told the truth on some parts, but you lied on the other parts. So you still lied. Partial obedience is disobedience. A lot of times we go where we want to go for a couple reasons. Because it's safe, we feel comfortable, and we know what to expect. We go where we want to go because it's certain to us. if we're going where God wants us to go and we don't know where that is, we don't know what that looks like. it's very uncertain, and we don't like uncertainty. We like to know what we're walking into. We like to know what to expect. We like to plan ahead. No one wants to go get on a ride at an amusement park and uh, not know what's going to happen. Like part of it is like you know when you're walking up to the ride, you can look at it and you can see, okay, it's got that loop there, that loop there. Mm, you, you like to know kind of what you're going to expect and what you're getting yourself into. Surprises are bad. Surprises are really bad. I hate surprises. I can't stand surprises. I, I, every Christmas, I'll walk in, and my parents got smart. They're sort of wrapping all the presents. Uh, I would walk into the closet and try to figure out what I was getting for Christmas. You know, like Santa Claus had come and put stuff under And I was like, "Mm, well, those presents aren't always wrapped. So I'm going to go look at those and see what I'm getting. They started wrapping all the presents. I don't like surprises. You like to know what to expect. We do not want to face pushback in life. And because we don't want to face pushback, we avoid where God is calling us and the opportunities that God is providing us. Here's the second point, the second characteristic of a true disciple. A true disciple embraces opportunity. A true disciple embraces opportunity. Look at Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 16 through 20 here. Jesus again is talking here. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts, and you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings, because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking, it will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. you, Before we even talk about what this passage really means, I want to point something out to you. Jesus here is foreshadowing exactly what he's going to go through on his way to the cross. Exactly what he's going to go through. He says, you'll be handed over to the courts. He was handed over to the Jewish courts. And then he was handed over to the Roman courts. You will stand trial before governors and kings. He went before King Herod and he went before Pontius Pilate who was considered the governor of Rome. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. Jesus used his opportunity on the cross to share the gospel. He even saved someone who was hanging on a cross next to him. When you are arrested, you'll be whipped in the synagogues. Jesus, before he went to the cross, was whipped, brutally whipped. So Jesus here is foreshadowing everything that he's about to go through. But again, Jesus will never ask you to endure something that he has not first endured himself. Jesus informs us here that we're going out into a world that's not going to accept us. That as a true disciple, you're going to face obstacles and you're going to face struggles. We've talked about this for a couple weeks now. They didn't accept Jesus, so why would they accept you as his follower? See, embracing opportunity as a true disciple is going to cost you your acceptance. Embracing opportunity as a true disciple of Christ is going to cost you your acceptance. And this is a challenge for us. Why? Because we like to be accepted. We like to be accepted by those around us. Jesus is telling us that we are going to face obstacles as true disciples. But, 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 here's the thing. You remember the Mark series that we just finished last month? And we talked about, there was a a lesson, a message that we went through called, What's on the other side of this crap? What, what's on the other side of all the obstacles that we're facing? And we talked about how God uses our obstacles to what? Do you remember? It starts with an E. Elevate us. God uses our obstacles to elevate us into our calling. Look, Hey, look again at verse 18. Look again at verse 18 right here. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers, but this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. The obstacle is your opportunity. The obstacle is your opportunity. You know, we we tend to, I just said it a minute ago, we tend to stay away from going down paths that seem like they have obstacles, that seem rough that don't seem easy we don't like to go down paths where we're gonna have to put in a lot of work if we can just smooth sail straight through and not face any obstacles that's great we're cool we like that we like to be comfortable but let me tell you something God may be calling you down a path that's going to have obstacles in all likelihood he is He wants you to face those obstacles and embrace the opportunity that you have going through that obstacle so that he can bring about good. Jesus says it right here. You have an opportunity through the obstacle. But what is going to happen as a result? What is the opportunity? The opportunity is for you to share the gospel with those who don't know it. And you know what? That's good. That's good. We talk all the time about uh, God bringing good through every circumstance. But we struggle with this, and we struggle to see it a lot of times, how God is bringing good through our tough circumstances because we're so focused on ourselves and how, how God is going to bring good that affects us. God, how are you going to make this situation good for me? You know, we talked at Manly Man too about divorce some. And we talked about how a lot, a lot of the guys on the trip had families that had divorce in it, and mine included. We talked about what, what could possibly be the good that comes out of that. And I, We talked about how simply knowing that you, w- the decisions that you don't want to make as someone, when you have a wife or a husband one day, knowing what to avoid, what not to do, that's good. That's wisdom. Wisdom is good. But also, there was a gentleman on the trip who said, look, my mom has this new happiness that she's never experienced before. That's good. Does any of that goodness necessarily affect you? No, not really. But does that mean it's not good? No matter the obstacle that you face, here's what you got to do. you got to fix your perspective. You have to fix your perspective. Because if your perspective is so focused on obstacles being bad, You'll never see an opportunity in them. If we're going to have the mindset that Christ is talking about here and and be able to see the obstacles and the tough situations that we're going through as opportunities to share the gospel, we have to fix our perspective. How many of you today saw an opportunity to share the gospel with those around you? I'm just just thinking to yourself. Let me tell you, you had many, many opportunities today to share the gospel with someone. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Did you not see the opportunity? Why did I not share the gospel with more people today? Did I not see the opportunity? Where was my perspective? Where was your perspective? We have to fix our perspective to be able to see the opportunities and be able to embrace the opportunities to share the gospel that Christ is giving us. But far too often, our tendency is to run and hide. But here's what true disciples do. True disciples stand up and speak out. A true disciple stands up and speaks out. And these last two parts that we're getting into, they're going to step on some toes. And they're going to challenge you a little bit. I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest with yourself in the first two that we've talked about. But really, as we go into these next two, I want you to be open to challenge. I want you to be open to your perspective being changed. Look at Matthew, still in chapter 10, verses 32 through 33. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to stand up for Christ? Are you willing to speak out to defend him when it's not popular? When people will make fun of you? When it causes you to sacrifice your plans and comfort? And while it's right, it's really easy right now, sitting in this the chair that you're in at church, to say, yeah, yeah, I'll stand up and speak out for Christ. I'll stand up for him. It's not so easy when you go back into the world, is it? It's not so easy. I'll be the first to admit, it's not easy for me either. If we want Christ to stand up for us, we also have to stand up for him. And here's where the title of this message comes in. This is not a side chick relationship. This is not a side chick relationship. We have been called to a full relationship with Christ. You've been called into a full relationship with Christ, and that requires you to put in effort. That requires you to put in work. When we look in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, it says, God works for the good of those who love him. God works. God is putting work into your relationship with him. But let me ask you a question. While God is working for your good, are you working for his good? While God is working for your good because he loves you, are you working for his good? And do you love him in return? Back to the side chick characteristics. Do you refuse to show God affection or attention in public? Do you dodge opportunities that would publicly show that you follow Christ? Do you invite God to be a part of every aspect of life? Do you invite him to be a part of every friendship and every relationship? That's tough. That's tough. How many of your friendships are you willing to talk about God openly in? How many of them are you not willing to talk about God in? Because of fear of judgment. Fear that you'll get made fun of. Do you only acknowledge God privately or in church? Ouch. Jesus ain't no side chick he is not your side chick and Jesus makes it very very clear here he will never be your side chick ever so here's the hard news to hear here's the hard truth for you to hear right now if you think that Jesus can just be your side chick You're wrong. You're wrong. That is the tough news. Jesus will not be your side chick, no matter how badly you want him to be there. Come on, boo-boo. Come on, Jesus. Come be. No. Jesus don't play like that. Jesus don't play like that. He's all in or all out. He wants to be all in. But he's not going to be half in, half out. He's not going to tolerate being your side chick. You know, I understand it. It can be hard. It can be hard, especially when we think we're going to be judged. Especially when we think we're going to be judged by those who are close to us, like our friends. But I want to tell you a couple personal examples here. The first one is, while I was in college, I had someone ask me, and I just met him, and it was an adult. And I knew they didn't, they were not a follower of Christ. They asked me, you know, what are you studying at Auburn? I said, psychology. So, oh, what do you want to do with a psychology degree? You know what I told him, I'm going to go into counseling. I'd already accepted the job here as a youth pastor. I told him I was going to go into counseling. Why? Because I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being laughed at by someone who doesn't believe in Christ. I didn't tell him I was going to be a youth pastor. I told him I was going into counseling. So I'll be the first to admit, this is hard. It's not easy. But let me tell you another example. This past August, I got to be a part of one of my really close friends' uh, weddings. I was one of his groomsmen, and uh, the night before the wedding, me and the rest of the groomsmen were all hanging out, and uh, his uncle came and hung out with us, we're all just talking. And his uncle's sitting there right next to me, he goes, hey, you know, he introduced himself, and what's your name, you know, what do you do? He doesn't believe in Christ. And I knew this too. I knew he was an atheist. I said, I'm Nathan. I'm a youth pastor. Said, a youth pastor, huh? So you're you're one of them Christians, huh? So, yeah, I am. He goes, Well, good for you believing in that religion. I don't believe in religion. Religion is just a bunch of crap. Here's what I said. Uh-uh-uh. Hear me out on this. Here's what I said. I said, you're right. I said, religion is a bunch of crap. But Christianity is not a religion, it's a faith. It's not the Christian religion, it's the Christian faith. And right there, he was intrigued. I I started to stand up for God in that moment. And God defended me and opened up a door, opened up an opportunity. Yeah, there was an obstacle, a potent, potential for me to get laughed at. And I did get laughed at a little bit. But all of a sudden, because I just embraced that obstacle and embraced that opportunity and stood up for God and was willing to speak out, he opened up that door for me to share the gospel. And for me to share the gospel with him and say, look, you've got it all wrong. Christianity's not a religion. It's a faith. I said, we can go through all the other religions, and it's the Buddhist religion, the Hindu religion, the Islamic religion. But it's the Christian faith. We don't go around, oh, I'm part of the Christian religion. No, I'm part of the Christian faith. I said, because it's all about the relationship that you have with Christ. A religion tells you you have to do this, you don't have to do this. Like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Religion's a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. But faith is a relationship. The Christian faith is not about the do's and don'ts. The Christian faith, our faith acknowledges that we're going to mess up. But it also acknowledges that someone, Christ, has already put in all the effort for us to forgive us and give us right standing with God because he loves us and all that he asks in return is our love our complete and total love for us to just be in full relationship with him i said you don't read your bible all the time that's okay should you read your bible yeah you should because it pu- it allows you and enables you to have a deeper relationship with christ you don't pray every day that's okay should you pray should you pray Multiple times a day, yeah, you should always be talking with God. Think about a relationship where you never talk to the other person. Is it going to work? No, it's not. Lack of communication is one of the top qualities where if you have lack of communication, I can almost guarantee you that that relationship will fail. And it's actually been proven psychologically. Lack of communication is a predictor that a relationship is going to fail. So, yeah, should you pray every day? Yeah, you should. But you didn't? That's okay. There's forgiveness. If we acknowledge Christ, he will defend us. He will defend you. But I'm going to warn you on this. Standing up and speaking out will cost you your comfort it's going to cost you your comfort. I was extremely uncomfortable sitting there in that chair. Extremely uncomfortable. To be sitting there talking to someone who was very, very I mean, dude is very intelligent, multi-millionaire, uh, worked from the bottom up in the business that he was in, and now is working as an executive in one of the top companies in the world. And for me to sit there and talk to him, someone who's very scientific, and have this conversation and get laughed at, yeah, it was very uncomfortable. It's going sacri- to cause you to sacrifice your comfort. But a true disciple stands up and speaks out. He will defend you. He will not, if you are willing to stand up for him, he will stand up for you. The final point that I want us to talk about tonight, I I think, sums up all of the previous points. And here's where I want us to be completely and totally honest with ourselves. And here's where I want us to be completely transparent with ourselves and be fully willing to be challenged. Because I think here is where we struggle the most. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 15. 3 through 11. And I'm only going to read 5 through 11. I'm going to kind of summarize what's happening in, in 3 through 4. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, who the Pharisees were the religious leaders, kind of like the priests of the time. And they were very knowledgeable on the Word of God. If we took the first five books of the Bible, this right here, if we took all these pages, they the Pharisees, would have had all of this memorized, word for word. They had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, word for word. So they were very knowledgeable. And Christ is talking to them, and he says, I have a question for you. The the law, God's word says, don't disobey your parents. But why do you say it's okay for someone to disobey their parents when it's for, quote, God's work? What you determine is good. What you determine is right. Why then do you make an exception? So look at what he's saying in verses 5 through 11. He's having this this dialogue with them. He says, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And this way you say that they don't need to honor their parents. And you say, cancel the word of God. Don't worry about what the word of God says for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and listen. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Jesus is getting on to the Pharisees here because they are making exceptions to God's word. They are making exceptions to God's word based on what is most convenient for them. Instead of standing up and speaking out for what Scripture says, they made exceptions. They didn't see obstacles as opportunities. And because they didn't see those obstacles as opportunities, they looked for every way to get around them. And making exceptions to God's word was a real easy way for them to get around a tough situation. They certainly were not doing the work of God. They didn't even want to face these tough situations. So Jesus here is honestly asking him this. What makes you think that you have the authority to change God's word? God has given you this. This is the word of God. What makes you think, Pharisees, that you have the authority to change it? But let me tell you something. He's not just asking the Pharisees this question. He's asking you this question, and he's asking me this question. Why do you think that you have the authority to change my word? Why do you think it's okay for you to just make exceptions to God's word based on what you think is convenient for yourself? This is the word of God. This is not the word of Nathan. As much as I would like to make exceptions on a lot of things, this is the word of God. You know who has authority to change the word of God? God. You know who doesn't have authority to change the Word of God? Us. We make exceptions to Scripture all the time. On a lot of different issues. A lot of different issues. And and I'll be the first one to admit that I'm guilty of making exceptions to the Word of God based on what is convenient for me sometimes. We say, oh, well, God, God said, I, sh- I shouldn't lie, but it really wasn't that bad of a lie. It didn't, it didn't really hurt anyone. Stop making exceptions. Stop. Stop making exceptions. This morning, <laughs> you know, I told you last week that I was really debating when to teach this lesson and when to teach last week's lesson. And as I was sitting down to write last week's message, I really wasn't feeling it last week, and I really was thinking, I want to preach tonight's lesson last week and just flip-flop. But I I went ahead, and I left it the way it was, the way I initially had felt that God was telling me to to teach these lessons and and these messages. And and then last week it was really cool because we had that courtroom scene on forgiveness, and then Ellen comes out and, and makes a profound statement about loving others who have differing perspectives than you. And I fully believe that through those two examples, God confirmed that that message was supposed to be taught last week. Well, today, I, I, I found more confirmation that things were where they needed to be. I opened my phone. Uh, and a lot of times what I'll do when I, when I wake up, I'll, I'll check my email, especially on Wednesdays because I can sleep in on Wednesdays since I'm here later at night. I hopped on Facebook for a minute. Here's one of the first things that I saw. I saw a quote. And I want you to listen to this. I want everyone to listen to this. Because this quote challenged me. And if you're being honest with yourself, it's going to challenge you. If it doesn't challenge you, you're not being honest with yourself. I'm just going to tell you this right now. You're not listening if this does not challenge you. Here's what it said. We are at a point in Christianity where people do not care if you can back it up with the Bible. Their feelings, desires and emotions override what Scripture says. They don't follow Christ. They follow their self. We are at a point in Christianity where people do not care if you can back it up with the Bible. Their feelings, desires, emotions override what Scripture says. They don't follow Christ. they follow themselves. We have made a lot of exceptions to Scripture. Here's what we've done. I'm going to tell you what we've done. We've started looking at Scripture through a cultural lens. We have started deciding what is okay with Scripture based on what culture says is okay. If culture says it's right and it matches the Bible, then the Bible's okay. If culture says it's okay, if culture says it's wrong and, and what the Bible's saying doesn't agree with what culture says, then the Bible's wrong. That's where we've gotten as a world. That's where we're at. Let me tell you how it used to be and how it should be. We would look at culture through Scripture. We would look at if something's happening in culture and it didn't line up with Scripture, then we said what's happening in culture is wrong. We would look at Scripture to make help us make our decisions and help us decide what was right and wrong in the world. But we've reversed it. We have said, we're going to look to culture for the answers, and if the Bible agrees with culture, then we'll listen to it. But if the Bible doesn't agree with culture, screw it. Screw it. Because you know what? My feelings, my desires, my emotions— that's more important. Because you know what? My feelings, my desires, my emotions make me feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. I don't have to sacrifice anything. If I can sacrifice the word of God, then I don't have to sacrifice anything. But if, if, if what culture is saying is actually wrong, then I've got to make some sacrifices. That's going to cause me to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to have some really tough conversations and face some really tough situations. But if I can make exceptions to Scripture, then I can go around the obstacle. If we don't make exceptions to Scripture, then we have to face the obstacles head on. It's real easy to make exceptions. I'll ask you a question. Is listening to rap music with a lot of cuss words in it, is that going to cause you to not follow God? I just want, I just want you to think about this. Is that—is listening to music with cuss words in and of itself going to cause you to not follow God? No, it's not. But let me tell you what it is going to do. The more you listen to music, that has explicit language, has cuss words in it. You're gonna pick up on those words. I'm just gonna call it out right now. I heard someone on the bus today coming to church yell out the s word. Just it wasn't shoot. It was, it was the word. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Using that language is not following God. Honoring God means following God. Honoring God means following God. I'm going to give you another example. Because you may be sitting there thinking, oh, well, I can listen to this music all the time, and uh, it's not going to cause me to cuss. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm going to give you a firsthand experience for myself. Going into college, I never cussed. Never. Did not struggle with it at all. Lucky if I said hell. Like, that was the extent of it. I didn't cuss. I didn't cuss. But I went to college. And I joined a fraternity. And what you know what's really amazing is when you spend a full semester being cussed at and spend a whole semester, really spent four years around guys who just let language fly, you know what you do? You pick up on it. You pick up on it. In college, I had a real cussing problem. None of you would have known it. Because you know what I got really good at doing? And it's what some of y'all are really good at doing. Flipping the switch. You come to church and you flip the switch. It's real easy to not cuss at church. Because you're in an environment where people are going to say, hey, you don't need to use that language. How many of y'all... I do not want to see your hands go up. I do not want you to respond in any way. I just want you to think. How many of you cussed today? Yeah. How many of you have cussed in the last week, month? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure most hands in here would go up. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The more you allow stuff to influence you, you're going to pick up on it. You're going to pick up on things that you allow to influence you. You know, I, I was really good at flipping the switch. Really good. I would come down here for summers, three months at a time, and I'd flip the switch. Would barely cuss. I'd mess up every now and then. And then I, I adapted to other situations with friends, That I had down here and got comfortable around them, and then I didn't care. I wouldn't care if I flipped the switch or not. But every time I was majority around the youth, I would flip the switch. Then I'd go back up to college, (laughs) and I'd just let my tongue fly. Didn't matter what, I, I didn't care what I said. But here's what convicted me. One of my really good friends, he's now married to, uh, it was was his girlfriend at the time, they're now married. And she looked at me and said, so you're going to be a youth pastor, huh? I said, yeah. She goes, I would never let my kids go to your youth group. I would never let my kids go to your youth group I can't believe you cuss the way you do I can't believe you talk the way you do I would never let my kids one day go to your youth group and I just laughed at like, all ah, it's not that bad I don't actually cuss around the kids she goes but where's your heart at you're complacent with your sin you're not following God She said, I I know the church is full of hypocrites, but you're Exhibit A right now. I mean, I'm sitting there just (laughs) trying to laugh it off as a joke, but I'm laughing because I'm covering up how, like, embarrassed and how just put on blast that I feel. Like, she was roasting me really bad. Like, not even just holding me above the fire, like, shoving my head into the fire. Just, like, burned. But she was right. She was right. It was convenient for me to make exceptions to God's word. It was a lot easier for me in college to not fight that type of language. It was a lot easier for me to not stand up to that and to and to not speak out about that. It was real easy for me to just go with the flow. Just do what everyone else was doing. I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to be judged. I do not want to be that Christian guy in the fraternity that just, you know, was different. And so I made exceptions. I made exceptions to God's word. Because it was convenient. Honoring God, here's what it's going to cost you. Honoring God, following God, is going to cost you your convenience. Honoring God will cost you your convenience. It's really convenient to make exceptions so that you don't have to face hard situations, so that you don't have to face obstacles. But a true disciple, a true disciple follows God even when it's challenging. Let me tell you something. If we're not willing to follow God, even when it's challenging, we are fake disciples. If we're not willing to follow God, even when it's challenging, we are fake disciples. Am I telling you that you have to be perfect? No, I'm not. But again, your actions reflect your faith. Your actions reflect your faith. Being a true disciple is a relationship with Christ. Okay, Being a true disciple is a relationship with Christ, which requires you to contribute. It requires you to be intentional. You are either in or you're out. Let me tell you something. Choose. Choose to be in or choose to be out. Choose to be in or choose to be out. Those are your only two choices. You cannot choose to have one foot in, one foot out. You cannot say, oh, well, when I go to church, I'll be a Christian. When I go to Fort Walton Beach High School, eh, forget it. I'm just going to rock with whatever is going on at Fort Walton Beach High School or rock with whatever is going on at Destin Middle School. You're in or you're out. If you want to be out at Fort Walton Beach High School, then you're out at church too. If you're not willing to be a Christian at Fort Walton Beach High School, then by what we've been told in Scripture, the switch switch doesn't flip as soon as you get to church, and now that you've walked through the the doors, you're a Christian. It's not how it works. You're either in or you're out. You can either fully follow Christ or not follow Him at all. You either fully follow Christ or you don't follow Him at all because partial obedience is. Is disobedience, and Jesus ain't no side chick. Hey, everyone. This is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you, and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you, and thank you for listening.